0: We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, and I'm our Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're bringing our series, Eyes on Jesus, to a close today. In this series, we've explored the themes of worry and fear and how those compare to what God's perspective and plan is for our lives. Friends, it can be so easy to allow anxiety to overwhelm or even cripple us at times but that's what makes our faith in Christ that much more important. So what we'll be talking about today is the peace of Jesus that transcends all things. We can't wait to jump into this message with you and see how God uses it in your life. Thanks for being here.
1: Good morning. Welcome, I'm really glad that you're here today. I wanna ask you a question, it's not an easy one. It's like hard right out of the gate. It's like a pop quiz um, and you don't want this. Uh, But I put a card on your chairs this morning if you're seated down here on the main level. If you're in the balcony, it was attached to the worship guide that you can grab off the center table when you come in. Um, And it's basically, it's from a book and a pastor leader named Peter and his wife, Jerry Scazzaro, probably mispronouncing that, um, about emotionally healthy spirituality and relationships Um, And there's four questions. And and at some point this morning, in addition to the notes that you may fill in in your worship guide and the thoughts that you may have regarding the passages of scripture that will engage, I just invite you to jot down what's a one-word answer that you would give to these four questions. What am I mad about? What 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 am I sad about? What am I anxious about? And what am I glad about? The last one should be something that we can all easily land on. In fact, all four of them should be something that we can easily land on. This comes from an exercise in their book um, called Going Below the Iceberg, Exploring the Iceberg. And you know that the truth, there's even a symbol of an iceberg on your card this morning as a good reminder of who you are as a person. You know, the bulk of an iceberg is what's below the water's surface. And the challenge with all of us is that we typically only explore that which is above the surface. If you can't answer definitively and maybe even exhaustingly all four of these questions, it's because you haven't gone below the surface. You're still exploring the, the, the top part of the iceberg. And these questions, they invite you to go a little bit deeper What's the cause of your stress in life? What's the cause of any sort of anxiety that you feel? Is it, is it some sort of trigger? Is it some sort of stimulus? Is it some sort of circumstance that just really gets you going? Or, or is it the lack of something that you really feel like you need? Because they both can cause stress or anxiety and feelings of unrest. It, it could also be the, the presence of a person. The lack of peace because they're around or the lack of peace because they aren't? What are those answers for you this morning? Maybe you'll think of them as we continue to go through our passages of Scripture. I remember each of our children... Had different levels of what is known as separation anxiety when they were small children. Our oldest had barely a tinge of any of it. And we just felt like such rock star parents. We're like, whoa, what, what is it that we did that was so amazing? Because our kids never cry when we leave them, and she's just happy when we return, and she'll it was just incredible. Pin a rose on our nose, pat on our backs. So we felt great about it. Second kid comes, and it's literally the same level of breeze. Hashtag humble brag. Sorry about it. Like it was just it was easy easy to give our kids to the nursery workers. It was easy to leave them with a babysitter. It was easy um, to let them go until our daughters, who were just one year apart, ended up two and three years old. And one Sunday morning, our two and two and a half year old at this point uh, is literally, they're moving up to their new classrooms. Like it's the brand new Sunday in August where all the little one-year-old kids move to the two-year-old kids classroom and the two-year-old kids move to the three-year-old kids classroom and the fourth graders become fifth graders and everybody's so excited. We'd been building up our girls for several weeks saying, hey, girls, this is the week that you get to go to your new classroom. And we walk in and we drop off our girls and our youngest pitches, the worst fit that we've ever seen come out of her. I mean, I'm talking like lay on the floor in Target and throw a temper tantrum kind of fit. She's so upset. And it occurred to us after a couple of weeks of this that it wasn't because we were leaving her. It was because she had internalized in her mind and thought, when I move up one class, I get to be with my sister it did not occur to her that her sister would also be moving up one class. And so the separation anxiety wasn't from her mom and I, it was literally from Big Sister and the fact that they couldn't be together on Sunday mornings. We got over that very quickly. Fast forward to our little boy, and that's when we realized that we didn't know what we were doing. Because his level of separation anxiety when we would drop him off at the church nursery was off of the charts. We quickly came up with a couple of strategies. One, if Susan dropped him off, my wife, that's when it was its worst. Mama's boy, to this day, it's okay. (laughs) If I would drop him off, it would be just a little bit better. and somehow or another seeing me leave wasn't as bad as seeing his mom leave in the nursery situation. Eventually all of our kids got over it, and we began reading about the idea of separation anxiety and what causes kids to have it and what causes them to move out of it, and there are a lot of theories and a lot of ideas of early adolescent and early childhood development. One of them is called object permanence, the idea that is an object still there even if you don't see it? It's when we play peekaboo with our children. We're like, hey, peekaboo, is dad still there when your eyes are covered up? Is mom still alive? Is she still around even when she's out of the room? Is the toy still present when it's across the hall or underneath a blanket? It's this developmental idea of object permanence. And without developing it at an early age, it can cause a lot of stress and a lot of trauma and a lot of challenges even later in life. What's the idea of object permanence? permanence for you. Popular childhood development expert and even budding theologian Daniel Tiger says grown-ups come back. (laughs) Some of you know what that means. It's this idea of what can we trust and who can we trust that makes a difference for us. This morning, as a part of the message, I want you to get to see a a video interview of a woman named Amy Alexander. Um, She's the founding director of a a ministry and a counseling center called Refuge that operates out of Williamson County, and she attends our Franklin campus. And a couple of weeks ago, she got to sit down with Chase Baker, our family pastor, and talk about that ministry. And in a series that we're closing up today with the whole title of Eyes on Jesus, the idea of eliminating stress and eliminating anxiety and ultimately knowing how to walk through stress and walk through anxiety and focus on who Jesus is, I think she has some important words for us to hear. Would you tune in?
2: Hey guys, I'm super pumped to be sitting here with Amy Alexander. She's the executive director of the Refuge Center for Counseling. But not only that, she goes to Rolling Hills, her family's involved, Dan's her husband. So it's it's so good to be sitting down uh, with you to talk about such a big issue that we're facing. So here's kind of the first question to get us in in this. What's the state of mental health in today's society right now?
3: So statistically, Pre-pandemic, about 25% of Americans were dealing with a mental health concern. Now let's just stop to define that. I think for a long time, there's been a tremendous amount of shame and stigma around mental health. So we thought of that as someone who is having mental health problems, a mental health breakdown. And we kind of went, yeah, those people over there need help. But mental health is really just our way of handling stress. It's the way we relate to one another. It's that little voice inside our head that's been talking to us for as long as we can remember. And for some people, that's a voice that says, I'm unworthy or I'm powerless, or it was my fault. I'm a failure. And it's our relationship to that voice that defines our mental health. So mental health is something we all have. But right now, as a result of the prolonged uncertainty and stress that we have faced, Mm -hmm. we really have seen an increase in things like anxiety, depression, grief and loss, Mm -hmm. um, substance abuse, increased uh, daily drinking, eating disorders, self-harm, those sorts of things.
2: Wow. Um, Tell us what you guys do, what you offer.
3: Sure. Well, the Refuge Center was started in 2005. My dear friend Jennifer Gillette and I co-founded the organization 16 years ago. And we have grown and grown and grown. It was really our heartbeat that no matter what someone was struggling with, what they'd done, what had been done to them, where they lived, what their story was, mm-hmm. that they could come to refuge and find a place of affordability, excellence, and true healing and care. So we have about 70 counselors now. We provide about 33,000 counseling sessions. Wow. We work with ages four on up into the 80s. So there's really not a lot we don't do.
2: That's amazing. And we're grateful for the work that you do in our in our community. And today, as a part of the series, Eyes on Jesus, we're focusing mm-hmm. on stress. So. Yes. Give us uh, just a few things on tips, best practices, the w- way we manage stress.
3: I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I wanna talk about something called the window of tolerance. So. We all have a window, and when we are in that window of tolerance, we're functioning at our best. We can be reasonable and rational and make good decisions. When we fall below the window of tolerance, we find ourselves to be lethargic, overwhelmed, unmotivated. When we fall upwards out of that window of tolerance, we're anxious, panicked, overwhelmed, even manic at times. We know that stress and trauma shrink the window of tolerance. So all of our windows have been shrunk. Our grace tanks have been running low, and our ability to cope has been outweighed by some circumstances that we were just not prepared for. So I think it's really important to recognize that we all need strategies to recalibrate. And it's not the same for every person. What you're navigating will require a different tool at times than mine will. I I kind of can't overemphasize the importance of movement though. Stress does live in our bodies. It gets trapped at the cellular level. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk wrote, the body keeps the score, would say immobility is at the root of trauma. Mm. It's not just the thing that happened to me, it's the fact that I felt powerless in that moment. So we need to move our bodies to be reminded of their agency, to remind our bodies I am strong, I can change this. So I just sort of can't emphasize movement enough. Move and pray at the same time. Go on a walk and pray. And there's a lot of neuroscience behind why that works. But I'd love to give four tips for our church today about things that you can do. This is something I've been talking with our team about all year and it's four ways to get radical. Because we're in radical times, we've got to match that with getting radical. So the first thing is radical boundaries. So Brene Brown did some research and found that the most compassionate people were the people that had the best boundaries which I think was surprising research. But why is that? Well, because when you said no a lot, there's more internal space to be kind to other Mm -hmm. people. So radical boundaries means um, saying no more often right now because our margins are thinner. It means doing less than we used to and all of those things are okay. The second thing I want to talk about is radical adventure. This is really important to me. This is a huge part of my self-care plan. But when life weighs in heavy, sometimes we need to get away to the mountains, to a stream, to an ocean, and we need to go look at how big God is. Look at His majesty. And it's this visceral understanding of, I'm not in charge. I don't carry this on my shoulders. Look at God. And our bodies have to be reminded of that. The third thing is radical rest. So if you to take a 15 minute power nap on Sundays and that was enough. We've been through a lot, it may not be sufficient in this time. So give yourself permission to rest longer, to rest deeper, to take retreats, sabbaticals, silent retreats, whatever may be needed. And then finally is radical connection and we just need people more than we ever have. We've been tremendously isolated and that's not going to happen accidentally. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this idea around not just church around a stage, but church around a table. So find a few people that you see every Sunday and ask them for dinner. It's it's getting brave, it's being courageous, but seek out intentional relationships. And it's, it's what the church really needs right now. The church really needs Um, a place to be real, a place for people to be honest and open and for it to be safe to do that. That's awesome. And
2: we know there's a lot going on with you guys. We're praying over you, praying for the refuge that God will provide and give strength and boldness. And so thank you guys so much. Amy, we appreciate you.
1: We have a running joke in our communicator team um, that we meet with on Monday, all the campus pastors of the various locations of Rolling Hills, and Jeff Simmons, our lead pastor, and the other communicators that step in from time to time, that you never want to follow Amy Alexander, because she's just such a well-spoken communicator, but yet here we are. Um, And I hope that you've been able to adapt that idea of of what it looks like in your life to evaluate where we've been over the last two years, or maybe this pandemic has been a lot longer coming for you because it's been 20 years of built-up anxiety and stress and difficulty, and in addition to the idea of radical boundaries and radical rest and radical adventure and radical relationships that I hope are being fostered in the idea of this congregation, may I introduce another one? It's the idea of radical trust. Would you just radically trust Jesus for all of the things that you need and for all of the ways that you will be shaped to be a person who not avoids every storm, but is able to weather every jam? There's certain words that are buzzwords right now, the idea of anxiety, the idea of depression. Like, I would never diagnose myself with rheumatoid arthritis. That's a medical doctor that would need to do that. I should also never diagnose myself with anxiety or depression. Those are clinical terms with clinical characteristics that somebody who's a professional like Amy needs to be able to diagnose me with. I would never just throw out the word research really flippantly. Like everybody's all the time like, oh, do your research, do your research. That's our friend Jenny Schumann who attends this campus because she's a PhD student at Vanderbilt in a lab doing weird things to bugs. That's research. Me and Google, that's not research. So we get invited to trust radically who Jesus is, especially when we begin to define the terms. And so today we get to define probably one of the most important terms that we engage as a people of God believing and trusting. It's the idea of peace. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I told you that we're going to be in the book of Philippians, and I invite you to turn to chapter 4. This is a letter that Paul wrote, and what we understand about this letter is that he first encountered the city of Philippi in the southern region of Macedonia and biblical archaeology and geography um, in, in the second missionary journey that he took. In Acts chapter 16, you can read all about how he encountered this city, how he was arrested in this city, how he praised God in this city, how the prison doors were opened in this city, and yet he remained in order to be able to lead a jailer and a leader in that community to Christ. And what we understand is that there was a church established, and probably about a decade later, as he was on other missionary journeys and travel trips, he was writing letters to the churches that he had started, and one of those was the letter to the Philippians. And scholars tell us that this letter was likely written from a jail cell. Now, you can imagine the Apostle Paul 10 years later in jail writing a letter to the believers in Philippi. I can't personally think of a situation that would be more stressful and more anxiety-producing and more difficult than being in jail knowing that death could come and yet taking time to write a letter to believers in Jesus, reminding them to weather any storm and to continue trusting. And so in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, as he begins to close this letter, he writes this familiar text, do not be anxious about anything, but in every—that's easier said than done, Paul, by the way—but by in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's kind of a running joke for every Miss America candidate that we know that the right answer to every single question is world peace, and we do long for that, and we do desire somehow in our beings for there to be peace all over the world, peace in particularly the Middle East. We we want there to be world peace, but we also crave personal peace even more. And this passage of Scripture gives you permission to do that. It says, present your requests to God. Oh God, we want your will to be done in the world ultimately and all over this planet ultimately and for all seven point whatever billion people ultimately, but we're invited to present our requests to God. And hashtag confession, I'm somebody that has struggled with that from time to time. Last week we were privileged to have Sarah Rodriguez, the Executive Director of JMA, our our Justice and Mercy Ministry in the Amazon here. And when you listen to stories about what they face on a normal year, not to mention what they faced the last two years because of the global pandemic and because of the Delta variant, the literal death that they've seen, the hands and feet of Jesus that they've been literally taking oxygen tanks on Boats and food bags on boats to people in the remote areas of the jungle who didn't have the news and an ability to understand that there really was a pandemic that was killing people by the tens of thousands. When I evaluate prayer requests like that, or prayer requests like our stories from our orphans in Moldova, or even tragedies here nationally, it makes me want to sit back and say, I can't take to God my meager prayer requests about a financial burden or a broken down car or my own health and fitness. But when we recognize that we were invited by Jesus himself to call God our Father when praying, we understand that we can bring any and all and every request to God and that they don't have to measure up on some Richter scale of difficulty in the world, that he cares as much, as deeply for the plight of the people in the Amazon as he does about your personal everyday situations and circumstances. And you can raise your hand and grab your phone and call your dad and invite him to come and pick you up on the side of the road any day of the week because he's our father and we crave world peace we understand the way that difficulty measures up on a scale of what's really challenging in life but we are still invited to bring to God our personal requests and so we continue in Scripture, it says in Philippians chapter four verse seven, "And the peace of God." So if we're not anxious about anything, but in every situation, regardless of how difficult it is, or regardless how easy it should be, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You know, the kind of peace that's in your notes this morning that matters most is the unexplainable kind. The kind that we don't know where it comes from. The kind that that we can't imagine having. The kind when the situation seems too dark and too dire for you to possibly be able to reconcile in your spirit that it's all going to be okay. The kind of peace that matters the most, particularly for the believer in Jesus Christ, is the unexplainable kind because it comes from God and God alone. That idea of peace transcending. It literally means peace surpassing, to stand out, the prominent, superior, feeling kind of peace. That understanding word in Scripture literally means our mind and our mode of thinking, that somehow our mind and our mode of thinking is to be at peace regardless of what our circumstance is, and that only comes. It doesn't come from us figuring it out. It doesn't come from us rationalizing the situation. It doesn't come from, hey, little kid, look at the clock on the wall. I'll be back in one hour, and then being able to suddenly figure it out. We understand that that kind of unexplainable peace only comes from God, and it will govern our approach to situations. It'll govern our reactions to certain stimuli. That's where I need the peace of God the most, my reaction timing and my reaction modes, worldly peace, the kind that we pray for when there's war, the kind that we understand when there's a disaster, worldly peace occurs only when problems are resolved or solutions are defined and even enforced. We see that when we look at what's gone on for basically all of our lives, especially the last few decades in the Middle East. We know that peace is only achieved in situations when it's been enforced. And when it's no longer being enforced, it's no longer achieved. Like, peace is only achieved when problems have been at their root, resolved, solutions have been defined. We can't even agree on what the terms are, much less the best way to enforce it. That's worldly peace. However, godly peace occurs. Godly peace occurs even when chaos ensues, even when there's chaos. That's how you know the difference. Worldly peace only comes when you can figure out a solution and solve the problem at hand. Godly peace comes when you can't, when chaos can continues. In John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, the crowd that's gathered around him, about the fact that he's literally eventually going to leave them. And they don't understand what's about to happen with the arrest and the trial and the conviction and the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection and the ascension. They don't get all the terms at this point. And Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace is a whole different kind of peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives conditionally, figuratively, and forcibly. I do not give to you as the world gives. Then he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Arguably, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus came back, to life when Jesus ascended into heaven. The world has only continued to get more chaotic, more stressful, more upside down, and and more difficult, and yet the promise of the Holy Spirit that was given to believers in Jesus Christ and continues to live in us through the life of the church and the world allows us to be at peace. Even when the world has gone bat crazy, we can literally be at His peace regardless of what is going on around us. That promise in John chapter 14 talks about his return. And what that offers to us is an understanding that our salvation is already accomplished. Jesus already died. Jesus already came back to life. Jesus already ascended into heaven. Jesus is already sitting at the right hand of his father and preparing somehow like DIY building a house for us to live in once we get there. It's already accomplished and yet not yet. reality in our everyday still messed up lives. We can trust that what's been done is what will happen because of who God is and because it's his peace that's been left to us. Philippians chapter four continuing in verse seven, it says that not only the peace of God which transcends all understanding, it says it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That idea of guarding literally means to see before that God knows what we need and he knows what is what is best for us. And and so in your notes this morning, it it explains that a a little bit further. It's this idea of what godly peace does. It it does more than just address certain situations. It literally protects our Christ-likeness by sustaining our humility. Humility is a key to having peace in life. We talked about 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 last week, the idea of humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time already and not yet. Cast all your anxiety, your your ma'o, this idea of problems and struggles and difficulty in life, cast all of that on him because he cares for you. Remember that we talked about this early on in the series that the idea of the ma'o, the, 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 the root of our anxiety comes when we have a divine heart and mind. It, it, it comes when we trust God with this hand but trust ourselves in the other. It comes when we lean on Scripture in this hand and, and lean on the ways of the world in this. We can't, a house that's divided against itself can't stand. A person that's divided in his mind can't be at peace. How do we, how do we be at that level of peace? We humble ourselves and then you can read in Philippians chapter 2 earlier in this letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi he literally says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in what humility value others above yourselves, not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another. We talked about that on the outset of this series, the idea that it's not just about me and that one of the cures of my own anxiety is to focus on the needs of others and the ways that I might serve, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God, who literally had something to brag about, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some of your Bible translations say to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. It's the definition of humility. Made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness godly peace does does more than just address whatever situation you're in in the moment. It literally is the way to maintain Christ's likeness and to continue to walk in humility, and so so what do that guarded heart and mind, when they're at incomprehensible peace, do for us? Literally, it, it, it looks like this. We remain focused and godly. Paul continues in that passage of scripture, starting in verse eight. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, I'm coming in for a landing here. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, it's hard to think about those things because I've got so many other things to think about. And the things I have to think about are hard things in life, difficult things in life, like real struggles, real challenges. And so we go back to the idea of Don't be anxious about any of those challenges. Don't be anxious about any of those struggles. Don't focus on any of those problems. But in every single one of those situations, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and his peace, his peace, which transcends all understanding. It's the incomprehensible peace. It's the why does that person seem so peaceful when the world is falling apart kind of peace. It will guard your heart and mind. And when it guards your heart and mind, not when you're on guard of your heart and mind because you can't do this by yourself, but when, when it, when that kind of peace guards your heart and mind, you'll be able to focus on what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy things. And if you're looking at your life right now and saying I cannot focus on true and noble and right and lovely and excellent and admirable and praiseworthy things, it's because you're not at peace. Because you're mad and sad and anxious. And so we focus on those things. The mind at peace, the heart at peace, it will be a heart and mind that's focused and godly on all of those things. It'll also be a mind that's steadfast and trusting. What does it mean to be that consistent? It literally means to lay upon, to support, to rest, to brace yourself. Isaiah 26, three says this, you will keep in perfect peace, incomprehensible peace, like, like, Otherworldly peace. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. How do we get that way? Because they trust in you. It's radical trust. It's radically leaning in and trusting in God. What does the guarded heart and mind at peace look like? Focused, godly, steadfast, trusting, and also completely satisfied. Satisfied completely in Him, it says in Isaiah 58, that the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. If I want to understand the definition of satisfaction in my life, it's that one. It's that one. So Paul begins to... Continue closing his letter in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. These are people that are, hey, they're not focusing on just their own needs. They're not focusing just on their own struggles. They're focusing on Paul. They're focusing on others. They're focusing on the apostles who are being arrested in other towns and other cities because of the work that they're doing for Jesus. It says, Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Listen to Paul's words. He's in prison, remember. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Holy Lord, I need to write this as a tattoo on my hand just so that I see it every day. Learn to be content in every single circumstance. Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. If you're a person that likes to underline things or circle things or highlight things in your Bible, please underline, circle, highlight in any and every situation. Any and every mean that there's nothing off limits when it comes to trust. It means that there's nothing off-limits when it comes to digging deep below the surface and figuring out what our challenges are. Every single one of those things can be handed over to him, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. Famous verse, you memorize this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And he goes down with this promise in verse 19, my God will meet all your needs Some of your Bible translations say supply, I love that word, supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. John Piper um, wrote that we should fear living, this is crazy, fear living in ways that betray your lack of satisfaction in God. And I struggled with that at first, and I'm reading the book, and I'm like, what do you mean betray? Because I just think that's a friend that stabbed you in the back. But when you look it up, it literally also means to indicate. It literally means to reveal. So substitute that word. Fear living in ways that reveal your lack of satisfaction in God. The only way that we reveal our lack of satisfaction in God is when we indicate a life that is not at peace because it does not trust God. Object permanence. He's there even when you don't see him. He's speaking even when you don't hear him. He's working even when we don't understand him. He is accomplishing his will even when he did not check with you first. Object permanence. He's there. We don't always know it, and we can get kind of anxious about it, but we know that in Christ there is absolutely nothing, Paul wrote this too, that can separate, separation anxiety, that can separate us from his love, and we will be a people who are at perfect peace, incomprehensible peace, crazy, how in the world are you living your life this okay when the world around you is falling apart kind of peace. When our minds are steadfast, because it's his peace, not ours, and we learn to trust him regardless of the circumstance, need, want, plenty, lack, he can be trusted. I was reading this week on vacation, Humble brag. Whew, got to take a trip at the beach, uh, a book by a pastor in New York that I've become acquainted with and, and really like what he wrote in a book called Deeply Formed Life, and he tells the story about how you, he once went to this retreat, and it was a lot more liturgical, and it was a lot, it was like a fancy high church kind of thing, and he noticed that as every person who was participating in the retreat came in the room, they, they dipped their fingers in a basin of water and made the sign of the cross on their foreheads and shoulders, and he didn't know how to do that, and so he was observing everybody in front of him to make sure that he did it right, and he had an awkward moment where he put his hand in too far, and you can read about it, in this crazy story. The next day, he got an opportunity with somebody that he trusted to say, hey, why do you do that? He he grew up in a a Christian tradition that didn't do that kind of expression, and so he wanted to know why people did that, and, and the priest explained to him in that moment, the water reminds us of our baptism, And our baptism says we are secure in Christ. There's no separation anxiety. There's no no difficulty. There's no overwhelming problem that can cause that level of stress and can take away that level of peace from the person whose hope is secure. We are blessed, regardless of what Christian tradition you come from, to have been given two reminders from Jesus Christ himself. Two reminders that we can be secure. Two reminders that our hope is in him. Two reminders of where our peace comes from. Ordinances of the faith baptism, which we get to celebrate today in person here at our campus at the 1030 service. And I'm so excited. My swim trunks are in the back. I can't wait. We get to celebrate and witness that baptism. Get in that water. And and the other expression is the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the the, the Eucharist, that we, we come to this table and we take these elements as a reminder that our hope is secure, that the promise has been made, that Jesus Christ is alive, and that he wants us to live our lives, regardless of the world around us, at an incomprehensible peace that only comes from him because he's already done the work and accomplished what needs to be accomplished for us to be okay, and so this morning, we're going to come to this table, and we're going to do it a little differently than we have all of COVID because, you know, we've changed up the way that we do some things because of, you know, things, and so this morning, you're going to be invited to this table. There are two tables here, one to my left and one to my right, and there's a a table and some baskets upstairs in the balcony, and I invite you to to come to this table in the same way that Jesus invites you to come into his family, and to take the elements, they're prepackaged for you. One, one cap has the wafer, the other cap on the other side has the beverage. And why our worship team leads us, you're just invited to, to go back to your seat and to take communion with, with, with a friend or with your family or, or all by your lonesome with just Jesus in this moment, knowing that those elements are your reminder. That, that, that bread is the broken body. That, that cup is the poured and spilled out blood that gives you all the security that you need, that your hope is in Jesus, regardless of what your world has thrown at you right now. And as a part of that, I invite you to bring the card that you wrote on. There's an empty basket on all three tables and maybe as a symbol of you expressing radical trust, you just want to say, "All right, Jesus, here's what I'm mad about, sad about, anxious about, even glad about. And I give you that. Cast all your cares on him. I I I give you that. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I'll take that in exchange for your peace. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for these symbols. We need them. It's object permanence for us, God. It reminds us that you're here when we don't feel it that you're moving when we don't understand it, and that we can trust you even when it's hard. So today, God, we give you all those things about us, what we struggle with, what we're anxious about, what we're sad about, what we are burdened by, what we are angered by, whatever ails us, God, we give you those things, and we take your peace in exchange. The body that was broken and the blood that was spilled, we take those things as our security and as a reminder that the same Jesus who lived and died and then lived again will one day return, you can be trusted. It's in your holy and perfect name that we pray today. Amen. Would you come to the table? Thanks for listening
0: to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.